Hello and welcome to Publish Me, a monthly podcast series from AS21 Publishing, exploring the publishing process of the fantasy epic, The Will of the Magi. I'm your host, Keith F. Shufflin, publisher and chief creative of AS21 Publishing, and with me as always is... Hello everyone, this is Paul Russell, the author of the fantasy epic, The Will of the Magi. I hope everyone is doing well. I hope you all had a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Merry Kwanzaa, and a Happy New Year. I think it's actually supposed to be Happy Kwanzaa, but uh, not that I celebrated or anything. (laughs) I did my best. (laughs) That's a start. Yeah. All right, so this is Chapter 10 of the Publish Me podcast. Today we'll be discussing editing. Joining us later in the program will be Editor-in-Chief Corey Parker of AS21 Publishing. Uh, thank you to all those that have gone through and listened to last month's episode on where we discussed chapter develop I mean, character development. It was a good conversation. I think we went a little bit long on it, but we got a lot of good detail on the Will of the Magi. So speaking of detail on the Will of the Magi, Paul, what's up? Well, December was a relatively productive month for me. I'm around 180,000 words right now, <sighs> give or take a couple. <laughs> I finally figured out a bit of a routine for myself. I'm a very large creature of habit, and once I can set myself into a routine, I try and follow it. So I kind of discovered my routine, and during that routine, I was able to get two amazing days of writing done where I was able to accomplish roughly 10,000 words on each of those days. Congrats. So, Way to go. Yeah, which I found out, you know, pretty much is what, like, Anne Rice and George R. R. Martin do for their writing. So 10,000 words a day is what the professionals do, which I really, really consider the good mark for me. So that made me really, really happy. I was, you know, ecstatic about that. Everything's coming along really well with the story. I'm really happy with it. And I'll leave everyone else in suspense about the rest of the details. Okay. <laughs> yeah, suspense is good, especially with fantasy. Suspense is oh, good. absolutely. Just as long as I don't give you too much and piss everyone off. Yeah, or make people you know, feel like they've got, they know enough that they don't actually have to read the book. Right, so. you know, kind of like the uh, new Superman versus Batman trailer. Yeah. I've seen the trailers, I don't need to see the movies anymore. I'm yeah. done. <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone thought that about Star Wars and they were proven wrong. You have to see the movie. <laughs> this is true, this is true. So, I don't know, I still haven't seen the Star Wars movie yet. What? What? Paul? <laughs> I have a very good reason. Uh-huh. I hate people. <laughs> and oh, boy. I've, I've driven by the theaters almost every other day since it came out, and there have been massive numbers of small screaming children at the theater whenever I go by. Mm-hmm. So my plan is tomorrow morning, Monday, the 4th, when school is back in session, I will be at my theater at 9 in the morning for the very first showing because there won't be a single damn person there. Because <laughs> all the kids will be in school, all the parents will be working. Just me and some other drunk college kids. Nice. Okay. All right. Well, I have seen it twice now. Uh, I went opening night and then I went again on Christmas Day with my my dad, my wife, and my screaming child. So... <laughs> I have nothing against children. Just, I don't like them in movie theaters. They get, okay. they, 
they distract me. Well, I can understand that. <laughs> I mean, uh, having two kids of my own and having taken them to the movies, I can under definitely understand that. So, <laughs> all right, I'll give you a pass on this one since you're going tomorrow. And in case of those listening didn't realize, yes, we are recording this on Sunday, January 3rd. But <laughs> So I do want to say Happy New Year to everyone. It is now January 2016. And for those that were, that were paying attention, yesterday was my birthday, January 2nd. I am now 34 years old and I'm owning it, so deal with it. Uh, this episode, of course, will be going out. You'll be hopefully listening to this on January 7th or shortly thereafter. Now, January 7th has the distinction of being Paul's birthday. Woohoo! <laughs> and I'm happy to say, thanks to recent developments in copyright law, we could happily sing Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Paul. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Should I be singing that to you since we just had your birthday? But the thing is, my birthday's in the past now. Your birthday uh, is very up the now, so I'm singing it to you now. Okay. So, there. Okay. And do we really want to call what I was doing singing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, just quick updates before we get into the conversation. We're still hovering around 40 followers on Twitter. You know, it, I think we went up as high as 42 at one point, then back down to 38. So, we got some really fickle Twitter followers. Either Shame that, on everyone. Either that or a lot of bots. <laughs> and, of course, we're staying steady on the Facebook page. And, uh, and we're on Google Plus and Pinterest, but haven't really noticed any definite changes on there. And, of course, I did regretfully failed to mention last month that we are on YouTube. Every episode is posted up on YouTube. Technically, it's a video, but it's, you know, the audio, and we add pictures. So, it looks nice. <laughs> they don't want to stare at me. I, yes. I know that much. <laughs> but for those of you who don't subscribe to podcasts through iTunes or Stitcher Radio or have no real podcasting app, but you want to keep up with us, you could check out the Facebook page and check out the YouTube channel and Listen to each episode as it comes out, and hopefully get some good feedback there. Yes, checking there, we have a decent viewership, not as much as we get, obviously, for people listening to it directly. But yeah, so always remember, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, at Published Podcast, we're on YouTube, we're on Google+, and Pinterest. You can email us, publishedpodcast at as21.com, if you have any questions or comments or otherwise we're always looking forward to hearing from you good or bad we prefer good but we take the bad right. anything you want to share with us let us know and just so you know if you send us something that we find incredibly interesting we may end up sharing it on the podcast so so understand that if you send something to us that is you giving us permission to hopefully use it on the podcast so some other news I want to bring up real quick. Starting this week, we have a new partner podcast launching, well, as we're recording this tomorrow, but as you're listening to us this past Monday, it's literally this week, a new weekly podcast series from AS21 hosted by me. Uh, and it'll just be a weekly podcast where I look over the headlines and bestseller lists from the larger book industry, you know, through news out of not only publishers, but libraries and the larger reading community. So check that out every week. It's also being hosted by Podomatic and uh, try to keep it on point of recording every Sunday night and released by Monday morning. So keep up with that. We're 
so we do, did a few test episodes that are up there. So not only will you have this week's to listen to, but you'll have a few from November from when we were doing test run that you could check out. Those will disappear as new episodes go up, of course. Give that a listen. Add it to your podcasting list. Hopefully I won't be annoying you too much. And uh, you can get a good insight into what's happening in the world of books. So that's literally this week. Now available on Podomatic, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and hopefully more as things go along. And of course, we also have our other partner podcast, the Passion on the Page Poetry Podcast. It put out its most recent episode on December 21st, the Monday before Christmas. And that featured, oh, who did that feature, Paul? I believe that featured me, actually. Yes, that featured Paul. <laughs> Paul was reading, it was one of a special episode. We had a holiday special, and Paul read the Robert Frost poem, Christmas Trees. So mm-hmm. check that out, Pass on the Page, hosted by SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash AS21. And of course, all of these podcasts and more are, you'll find our main website, media.as21.com. Go there, and we have a... You know, a page set up for each podcast and with a new post every time an episode goes live. So check that out. Follow us, friend us, listen, like, share, everything you do, do that. So now to the heart of the matter. Our guest today is Ace 21 Editor-in-Chief Corey Parker. Corey is a graduate of American University with a degree in literature and then went on to George Washington University where he got his master's in publishing and he has been with AS21 from the beginning. He actually was one of the editors on both of my books, were the first editors on my novel Polk Soliloquy and then he was the primary editor for my novella Life's Penance. Pretty much anything I write that I want to share with people, Corey is my go-to guy to check it out. He's the only person that has read every single thing that was published in both of our annual magazines, uh, the 2014 and 15 AS21 annual. So I'd like to welcome to here to the January 2016 Publish Me podcast, Mr. Corey Parker. Woohoo! Happy Christmas Hanukkah to everyone. <laughs> Good to be here. All right. Thank you for joining us, Corey. Thank you, Corey. Now, when we were first talking to Paul two years ago now, <laughs> yeah, uh, almost years ago, he we were all part of a conversation on developing the original seed that would become the will of the Magi. So all three of us have been in this from the beginning. Yep. Although I mean, I've been doing the monthly check-ins with Paul while Corey is just now getting some things to look over. So. <laughs> And, of course, Corey, you, you said that you won't be actually doing a full edit until you have everything, right? I'll be reading it and throwing in some general comments. But, yeah, as far as really heavy editing, yeah, that'll commence when the entire book is done. Okay. And why is it that you do that specifically? Well, you can't really get a, a sense of the book until it's complete. And uh, the more finished the product is, the easier it is to edit, the less time it takes, the smoother everything goes. Uh, but it it does help to read the chapters you've sent as well, so I can get a general idea of where things are going. Okay. And I know that when I was working on my books, having you be able to look over chapters as I was getting them done, some of the questions you asked would help guide me in during the writing process, help me build the following story and making sure that I don't leave any plot holes, that everything's resolved and everything works out properly, so... True, I did do that for Life's Penance, so uh, I'll probably be sending 
follow some questions as well after I read these ten, I think ten, yeah? Ten. Yeah, I sent you the first ten chapters in the prologue. Uh, so, Corey's got a lot of reading ahead of him. <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> yeah. he lo thankfully, he loves to read. <laughs> I do. Alright, uh, before we get into the more co larger conversation, I want to bring up there was a story that came out this past week, officially published on the 29th. NPR did a part of All Things Considered and then had a uh, article on NPR.org along with it called What Exactly Does an Editor Do? Acknowledging that the role has changed over time. Uh, it gives that as an example the fact that Ghost Set a Watchman with not so much a second book, but more of the first draft of what would become To Kill a Mockingbird. And it just showed how Harper Lee got tremendous advice from her editor, Tay Hohoff, that helped mold the final book into the internationally renowned best-selling To Kill a Mockingbird. So that led NPR to look into what exactly an editor does. Have you guys had a chance to read over the article? I've looked it over briefly, yeah. Yeah, it was. I thought it was interesting. I didn't even realize that it was more of a first draft of Mockingbird. I didn't realize that either. I thought it was just a very early draft of what would have been the follow-up. I didn't realize, and I personally haven't had a chance to read it, and I know my wife has. I, I knew it was a very early draft and not a fi anywhere near a finished story. In fact, there are some bookstores that were actually offering refunds to people who bought it because of how disappointed they were in what this supposed final product was. I haven't read it either, but presumably it's different enough from Mockingbird that there would be a market for it, other than super fans of uh, Harper Lee. Yeah. So looking at the article, it points out that obviously not every book submitted to a publisher is a masterpiece. It says sometimes an editor does suggest major revisions. One of the people they talked to for this, where's that? Oh, here it is. Rebecca Salatan, Vice President and Editorial Director of Riverhead Books, one of the primary people they talked to for this article, she says that she thinks that it still is possible for an editor to ask a writer to make the kind of changes Lee made in her book, but when all is said and done, readers shouldn't know exactly what role the editor played in shaping the final book. Yeah, that's a good point, because one of the primary jobs of editors is to not change the author's voice. Right. And doing that is often a difficult thing, but you want to be sure that you're not just rewriting the whole thing. You know, this isn't a journalistic piece. This is a very distinct creative work, and I know Paul has his own voice, you have your own voice, and that's something the editor needs to be cognizant of and, and kind of be aware of throughout the process. Uh, I was just thinking back to when we were... Corey and I were on the staff of the newspaper at American University, the Eagle, and there was a whole back and forth between two editors, but one was a writer of a piece and the other was our chief copy editor over whether or not the, uh, the proper use of the word bellowed. <laughs> and the writer, who was actually one of our top editors, was just reiterating, it's the author's voice, leave it alone. And the copy editor was bringing out dictionary after dictionary with definitions for bellow, trying to argue his point. <laughs> I, I believe the managing editor won in the end. Oh, there you go. As should be, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to let things go, you know, especially if it's a, a phrase that the author likes to use a lot, or if it's dialogue. I mean, you don't have to be very concerned with grammar much at all if, if it's, uh, you know, something that sounds like a normal person would say. 
some dialogue. Mm. Right. The one thing that I remember being taught in college was that an editor, if you can, whenever you get your book done and going out there, and you get an editor, the editor can either be your best friend in the world, or can be your absolute worst enemy. <laughs> you know, that's the one thing that was kind of harped on for me. When, you know, when I was learning formally how to do all this. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd say that's probably true. You know, I look at the relationship as a, as a conversation, you know, mm-hmm. and both of us trying to make the best book possible. And there will be some suggestions I'll bring up that you probably won't like, um, and there will probably be some that you probably will like. And Absolutely. we just have to hash out, you know, what's acceptable and what's not to try to make it better. Absolutely. I've dealt with, you know, college and friends who said the same thing. So that's kind of my attitude towards it. You know, I'll, you know, we'll work on what you have and we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, I have to say that when I was in graduate school, of course, that was MBA program. So there weren't exactly anyone trained to be a proper editor, but whenever we had a group project, whoever was the person that would always be the harshest editor would always be the person we hated the most. Because <laughs> it would always be the person who goes, oh. Thanks, Steve. No, 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 but you didn't edit any of my work. What are you trying to say here? <laughs> <laughs> I did not have you read a single one of my business papers. So. No, thank God. Yes. It would have been boring. Yeah, the, the worst you've had to edit was reading over the business proposal for AS21. So. <laughs> but, uh, no, we had one one of my first group projects at GW. We had one person in the group who just was constantly just slashing and burning everything everyone else was doing. So bad is, like, we had whole sections that she deleted because she didn't like the source that we provided. And I think she enti- she ruined my entire Thanksgiving break because of how I had to completely rewrite like four or five pages of the report we were working on. So yeah. I had another class with her a few years after that, and she said, oh, don't worry, I've toned way down. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. She goes, yeah, I've had a kid since then. I've learned patience. <laughs> I am a much better person now. <laughs> you probably thought, if only you had done that earlier in life. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I could have enjoyed my Thanksgiving. <laughs> it does take time to be a good editor, just like it takes time to be a good writer and most other things. Right. Just need a lot of practice. And... Well, if I may ask, Corey, for my sake and I guess for our readers' sake, how many pieces, I guess, have you edited at this point, if you could give a ballpark number? Uh, if we're talking about books or just... Whichever books. way you want to take the question. You know, you could okay. just do... You know, I'll leave that to you. Okay. Well, in my day job, I primarily edit scientific articles. So I've done, at this point, probably many hundreds or even close to a thousand um, in the past 10 or 12 years. Wow. But books, I've, I've done several nonfiction books, probably about a dozen or so, 12 or 15. Um, less fiction, actually, but maybe, we'll say about half a dozen fiction books, roughly. So not a ton, you know, this right. is not something I do every day. Right. Uh, but I have done it in the past for several different authors, and I've also edited a lot of short stories, notably for the AS21 annual. Nice, thank you. So whenever we get to work with you, you know, we know we're on good hands then. Yeah, I'm not a complete novice anyway. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, you have you have a lot of experience underneath your belt, which is what we all which is what we all desire. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I know. I definitely put my full faith and trust in Corey's ability to pick out mistakes and you know question things that are left questionable. So, <laughs> and I, I've definitely seen the novice editors who who could stare at a piece that is riddled with mistakes and then find joy in finding a single mistake. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, that would have been me in college. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very good at finding small mistakes, you know, like really, I'm very detail-oriented. So I began as a proofreader, which is, you know, like the last line of defense before something gets published. Mm. And the mistakes are usually pretty small at that point. Mm-hmm. So one of the challenges of especially handling a book is you've got you've to think about the big picture and how to rearrange things if they're not in the right place and... It is a lot more work, right? but it's fun. Now, when considering editing, they're generally broken down into three different types of editing. So they're copy, line, and developmental. Corey, can you give us a little bit of background about what each stage of editing is specifically? Sure, yeah. Copy editing is um, a lot of fact-checking, a lot of you know, uh, checking for little inconsistencies, like if you spelled someone's name with a Y on page 2 and with an I on page 84. So oftentimes an editor will, will have a list of like names and places and spellings for a book so that they don't lose track of everything and yep. just double-check it, do a search and replace throughout the manuscript sometimes. Uh, so it's closer to proofreading than it is to editing, but then you also have the fact-checking component. Line editing is just going through very carefully, giving a really close read, and going through fine details, uh, transitions, making sure there's, there are no awkward parts to the text where it doesn't really make sense, little things like, like that. And then content editing is, is basically... Uh, trying to organize the story in an effective way. So it can involve a lot of rearranging paragraphs, chapters, sections. It can also involve major revisions, so rewriting, which uh, sometimes an editor will do that, and sometimes you'll just tell an author, look, you need to do more of this, or you need to focus less on X and add more detail about this certain part. You know, like, you don't have enough... The scene needs to be extended or something like that. Mm. Something that's going to take the author a little while to fix. So that's really what happened with, in going back to the NPR article, with Tay Hohoff uh, approaching Harper Lee and telling her that, you know, you got to make some serious changes to this manuscript here before it's it could be To Kill a Mockingbird, so... Well, I mean, it's always interesting for, I guess, as not as a writer, but as some as a reader, whenever an article comes out or a discussion comes out concerning an author that we all like and the editing process that they're going through. I mean, there are, we've all heard thing at this point uh, from George R. R. Martin that his next book is not going to be out by the time the next season starts. So that and, yesterday, yeah. yeah. So that you know that was all out yesterday. We had that. I know I've read articles uh, about Anne Rice and the editing process that she has to go through. And then I never, you know, the authors I prefer to read articles about are all dead at this point. So I don't get to enjoy those as much. You know, Herbert, Asimov, Tolkien, 
So, mm-hmm. oh well. Well, you often hear about, and especially with dealing with self-publishers, as I've had to deal with a lot, there's a lot of people who just, when they finish writing, they just want to publish right away mm-hmm. and don't want to go through editing. Or if they do, or they'll say, "Oh, I've already read it myself, and I and I think I have a pretty good eye." <laughs> that doesn't work. Not for your own work. Yeah, you, 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 you can, can never see the things yeah. in your own work. Exactly. That's exactly right. Got to have other people read it. I mean, you even if you can be your own biggest critic, and you can catch your own mistakes, that's great. But you still need somebody else. You can't. I mean, this is a book, yes, it is your own personal story that you're trying to tell, but if you want to share it with a larger audience, especially a worldwide audience, you need it to be a team effort on editing and some of the other functions of it. If you look in the acknowledgement section of a lot of novels, you'll see that, you know, sometimes the the authors will thank their readers. And most authors I know have at least, you know, like four or five beta readers who will go through the entire manuscript before the author even thinks about sending it out to an agent or a publisher. Mm-hmm. I actually have a dozen people lined up, several of whom are, were off, you know, or students with me at college who all want to be authors themselves. Others are, you know, the close family member type, all of whom are, I know, excellent editors for my work because they know exactly how my brain thinks. Right. <laughs> And they may end up giving you better suggestions than I could, too. So right. That's, that's another benefit. Yeah, that's that's my main goal is, you know, once this book is done, those people are going to get that first manuscript. And then once I've dealt with them, then my plan is to send it off to you, Corey. Cause, so essentially, Corey, you're never going to get the first rough draft. You'll get the second or third one at that point, I guess. Yeah, and that's that's ideal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that works out real well because an editor can catch mistakes, but not all not all editors are good at suggesting ways to fix some mistakes. So. Right, that's right. And other authors tend to, I don't want to say they're more imaginative, but they, I mean, it just the way they approach a manuscript is not, yeah. is more solving the problem than simply scrutinizing, so. That's probably the, probably the hardest part for me is trying to find ways to fix things. Right. So, yeah, I agree with you. Right. Well, yeah, because I know as an author myself, when I, if I'm presented, you know, if I get back from my editor a list of, you know, just a litany of mistakes that I made, and in some cases, just if it's something structural, I would like if there was some advice on how to fix it. Because especially with a larger piece, like a short story or a novella or a book, you'd want a little bit of advice can go a long way because you could be burned out on writing by that point and you know your creative spirit is just completely drained so having someone that could suggest something is a tremendous help but that's of course not to say that you should just use other authors as editors and for and for sake of regular editor as well I, I, Someone, I mean, because sometimes authors may not be as, they may be good at helping solve problems, they may not be as good at catching some that yep. exist out there. So, All right, so Paul, any other questions you have for Corey? 
I guess one, uh, uh, you know, the since I am writing a fantasy epic, uh, Corey, have you ever edited a fantasy epic before? <laughs> I've edited shorter fantasy stuff. No, okay. Never an epic. You know, never I've never epic. worked with like a Robert Jordan type author before. Someone um, who knows Robert Jordan. Thank you. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I, you know, I I think one of the one of the things that will help me is reading more epic fantasy. You know, it's it. The more you read in a certain genre, I think the more you recognize what works and what doesn't, and the more examples you have of you know great, really good, good, and not so great books in that genre. And I, I don't know. I think it's just easier to recognize what works and what doesn't. So I mean, I'll be reading more epic fantasy this year for sure. One of the things I probably will have to send with to you, I'm I'm recognizing this because you know I a read a lot of fantasy and I am writing it. Is have you seen the Wheel of Time companion that came out? Did you get your hands on that? Uh, is that one that Sanderson worked on or? No, that's the one that his oh. wife did. The, the, oh, okay. the companion is the dictionary of all the places, terms, and. Oh, okay names from the Wheel of Time series. I haven't seen it yet. No, it just came out like a month or two ago or so at this point. But I think I may have to... One of the things I, I'm working on is I'm making essentially the same kind of thing uh, for mine. Again, just so I can keep track of all the details in my own head. So I may have yeah. to send that to you as well, <laughs> just to make your life easier. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that would be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, that way, you that way you have something you can flip to. Like, all right, so this person's actually in that house or works with that guild, or you know, yes. all those kind of little details. <laughs> Family tree or something. Exactly. Well, I know one thing. Like going back to Paul, you brought Tolkien. Mm. He had extensive notes to go along with his books that went along to the editors, so that so they could understand well, yeah. a bit more. Well, and obviously, Peter Jackson rated those notes for the Hobbit trilogy. So, oh yeah. Well, I mean, Tolkien invented entire languages. He had such massive uh, cultures. He had, you know, he wrote an entire world history, you know, with the Cimmerillion. So. I guess that would be more than one world history at that point. Maybe multiple world history. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, because yeah, one thing with fantasy, I mean, when you're writing nonfiction or contemporary fiction, you take to heart the fact that people are already pretty knowledgeable about the world we live in. Or you and, hope they are. <laughs> well, yeah, you definitely hope they are. And if they don't, you pick the wrong editor. Mm -hmm. But so with fantasy, you do have to introduce them to another world. Right. One of the things that I made for myself, I may have mentioned this in the last podcast, I don't remember, is I actually made a character sheet that lists all every single possible detail for my characters. You know, physical appearance, background, family background, psychology, you know, what kind of food they like, allergies, medical issues, every single detail, you know, and Many of these details are things that my reader will never know and won't even bother with. But they're things I just need I just need to keep in mind as I'm writing things. That's good. That's really and good. And I'm must, I'm sure that helps in you know keeping little details oh, yeah. consistent with, the, with what the character would, would do. Yeah. One of the reasons I keep that in mind is I'm sure you guys are both familiar with 
Mel Brooks and Robin his Robin Hood movie, right. uh, Men in Tights. Right. You know, oh, in yes. the you know the great comedy of having Prince John's mole move all over his face throughout the movie. <laughs> yes, that's one of the reasons I do this because I don't want my characters' moles moving over their face throughout the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like the classic movies where the you know, someone would get wounded and then the wound would change back and forth between different arms. Or, right. Well, Young Frankenstein, he even did it with uh, the, the hump on Igor's back and changed yes. sides. <laughs> yes. But all, all for the fun of it, of course. Oh, absolutely. That was deliberate. You know, yes. But knowing me, I would do it and not notice it. <laughs> yes. And sometimes people just miss that. I remember reading a short story on Tor.com in which there was a string of dialogue and at the end, it said X person said this, but it should have said the other person. Mm. And I pointed that out in the comments, and and the editor of the piece, Ellen Datlow, was actually very gracious and responded and said, "Thank you so much." You know, sometimes we can't catch everything, and we appreciate that. Oh, I had one of those a few weeks back. I I was on Facebook just as one of the college newspapers that you know from one of the colleges I went to posted their most recent edition. And it included a story that actually interested me. So I looked real quick at their front page, and I caught an editing mistake in the first sentence of the first paragraph. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, man. So I, of course, I immediately went in the comment section and, you know, in the comment on Facebook. And no reply, and no one else commented. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Hmm. I'm like, I mean, I know what it is to be on that deadline. I know what it's like to be a full-time college student and working at the student newspaper. But the in the lead, you get something wrong in the lead? <sighs> yeah. It was probably edited at like 2 in the morning and, you know, right. a couple oh, drinks nice. in them, severe exhaustion. Oh, yeah. Better not have been drinking, but, you know, that wasn't, wasn't a paper <laughs> that I worked on, so I can't take responsibility for that, so. I'm not saying anything about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Yes, moving <laughs> on. <laughs> I mean, hey, for some people, you know, some certain substances improve visual acuity and attention to detail. And others, it does not. <laughs> so. Now, of course, all right, so yeah, so 10 chapters are now awaiting Corey's review, but obviously he's not going to do the full thing until Paul's book is completely done. So now the pressure is really on Paul, as if it wasn't enough over the past how many episodes? (laughs) (laughs) I said it's chapter 10, but it is officially the 12th episode. So yeah, yeah. (laughs) yep, a little bit of pressure there, Paul. Over the past year. <laughs> yes. Yes. Actually, next episode, the February episode, will be exactly one year since our introductory episode was posted. Woohoo! So, yeah. Well, this, so, this way, you built up a nice following. And have a really good story. Yes. Good story, and hopefully, a couple people buy the book. <laughs> Yes, we are hoping that everyone listening to this podcast, everyone listening, purchases the book when it is available. <laughs> and that, that could be ebook or print. It doesn't, you don't have to feel Either like you, one. you don't have to do the uh, hardcover gold leaf limited edition for $2,000, but... You know. <laughs> 
We would love you forever if you did. Yes, and we'll, I'll make sure that Paul signs that one. Oh, I'll personalize it. I'll with do us, whatever with, you want. With squid ink. Squid ink <laughs> and a quill. I have quills. Why well, am I not surprised you have quills? <laughs> I have multiple quills. <laughs> and you know, I have ink. There's already an SFF publisher who kind of specializes in that. <laughs> Subterranean does a limited edition, fancy, expensive ones. All right. We don't. Well, we don't. We don't do that. I'm a, I'm a fancy author, so we write things in our own blood. So I'll use my quill and I my own blood. I'll sign that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's a promise to you from Paul when he finally finishes writing the book. <laughs> I will sign your book in my own blood if you buy the $2,000 Gilded Leaf co copy. Yes. Hardcover, Hard yes. <laughs> Leather bound. <laughs> now uh, I have to make sure that's available for people. Because <laughs> you know someone will buy that just to oh, yeah. fulfill the oh, promise. Yeah. Oh, I, I am... Yeah, I know that there are people that will go... That will take the joke all the way. There's the Simpsons episode about wanting the elephant. <laughs> And there was the, oh god, there was, back in the 90s, we had Pepsi Points, and they, they jokingly in the show, in the commercial, the Harrier Jet, available for a certain number of Pepsi Points, and somebody saved up the points, and oh, they got god. pissed because Pepsi couldn't supply them with a Harrier Jet. <laughs> What'd they get instead of the Harrier Jet? I, I think they got a lifetime supply of Pepsi, <laughs> so... I'd want the jet. I'd want the jet. <laughs> no, I'd want the jet. Couldn't afford the fuel, but I'd want the jet. I don't care about flying it. I just want it in the driveway. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be something. So yeah, nobody is leaving a a flaming pile of dog poo on your doorstep if you have a Harrier jet in the driveway. No. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right, Corey. Any parting thoughts? Anything? Any sage advice from the editor you want to share? Go see Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it tomorrow. I'm doing it tomorrow. Okay, excellent. Um, not off the top of my head. Yeah. Okay. All right, Paul. Any final questions? Yeah, you want to get out. No, at this point, I just need to start kicking my own self and get this book finished. <laughs> well, I'm glad to see you're kicking your own self, because I've been kicking you for 12 months now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been kicking myself the entire time, too. It's just, you know... You gotta keep, keep the boot on when you kick now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, now I gotta put the spikes on it. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, thank you, Corey, for joining us this edition of the Publish Me Podcast Chapter 10 Editing this January 2016. We will be back next month, just me and Paul, for Chapter 11. And this will be an interesting conversation. We're going to be discussing twists. Now, of course, the thing about a twist is you don't want to give it away beforehand. And it will be an incredibly important thing considering the movie that Paul needs to go see tomorrow. <laughs> uh, we, and we will be talking about our favorite twists from books and movies, not specifically talking about twists in our own books, because we want you to, you know, read, read them. Them. <laughs> <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> we, we will make sure to use our 
liberal use of our spoiler alert siren next month. Yeah. We're just going to have it playing the entire time, I think. Oh, no, then no one will listen. <laughs> but before then, what we want you to do is, for those listening, get on Facebook, get on Twitter, email us, let us know your favorite plot twists or character twists or whatever, and you know, send them in and we'll make it part of a larger conversation. Because we're all about wanting to hear back from the listeners because we... We're trying to build a pretty good listener base here, and we're happy that you are willing to listen to us talk. So it'd be great if you could share with us a little bit, if you could send in your own thoughts so we can sort of hear from you, make this not a, well, it's not a, exactly a one-sided conversation because I am talking to Paul, but it, you know, you, it's no longer a passive conversation on your part, that you could actually take part in this. So facebook.com slash publishpodcast twitter.com at publishpodcast email us publishpodcast at as21.com also find us google plus at pinterest youtube it's our published podcast uh youtube channel where you can catch uh the each episode as it comes out as well as of course hosted by podomatic and also found on itunes and stitcher radio so, for AS21 Publishing, I am Keith F. Shovlin, Publisher-in-Chief Creative. Thank you again to Editor-in-Chief Corey Parker for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Corey. Thank you very much. And as always, I am Paul Russell, author of The Will of the Magi. Thank you all for listening. And remember, where there are thoughts and ideas, there are stories. We'll see you next month. Copyright 2015, AS21 Publishing. LLC. All rights reserved. AS21 Publishing. What do you want your book to be?